Hey, Wildcat fans. Yes, it has been a while. Too long, in fact. I think a couple of weeks since the last Wildcast, but we're back. I am Chappie, your voice of the Wildcats in podcast form as a contributor to Wildcat Report, the great site that's run through Rivals. Give it a look if you haven't already, but most of you, I'm assuming, who are listening probably are frequents to this site, and we thank you for coming back. Thank you for joining me once again. So let's get right into the topic for today. We are going to talk 2019 Northwestern football schedule, fresh off of a Big Ten West division championship, an appearance against the mighty Ohio State Buckeyes in the Big Ten championship, and then a thrilling victory in the Holiday Bowl over the Utah Utes. Northwestern has got a lot of positive things heading into 2019. We're going to look at their opponents and how the Wildcats may or may not stack up against each of these foes coming down the slate. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a bowl full of chips Wildcast edition of the 2019 Northwestern Wildcat football schedule. Okay, so kicking off for the Wildcats, their 2019 season begins out in Palo Alto, California against the Stanford Cardinal. Now, Stanford went 9-4 and last season, finishing third in the Pac-12 North and going to a bowl game. Both teams, this is their opener. <clears throat> so looking at Stanford, offensively, they bring back three-year starting quarterback K.J. Costello, pretty good group of wide receivers, and a potentially All-American tight end in Colby Parkinson. Their running backs will be okay. Jordan Scarlett, Darian Maddox, and Austin Jones, who's a freshman coming in, look to scatter the backfield with one hoping to emerge. They've got an offensive line that's got a little bit of turnover. They do lose four starters, but we all know that at Stanford, that seems to be an offensive line factory where they mold them and and bred them into some winners up front. So Defensively, they bring back a pretty good defensive line, more athletic than they are stout. A decent set of defensive backs led by corner Paulson Adebo, who had four interceptions and 20 pass breakups last season and was third on the team with 64 tackles. Question mark on defense, though, is their linebackers. Who is it going to be? They lost four of their top seven linebackers. So this is going to be really a test for both the Northwestern offense and the Stanford defense with question marks a little bit on both sides. So it'll be interesting to see who emerges, which of those units emerges, and that's going to be the big matchup to watch in this game. Stanford follows Northwestern with a game at USC in the Coliseum, and then they travel out to Orlando to play the UCF Golden Knights. So this is a situation where Stanford starts out really strong in their schedule and Northwestern certainly is part of that so Stanford's going to have a lot of things on their mind in those first three games and that could play in Northwestern's favor. Now Northwestern a side note has never won at Stanford they've played I think five total matchups but the Wildcats won in 2015 which started the Clayton Thorson era in dramatic fashion with his long 42-yard touchdown run and then the other time that they played in Evanston, there was a 41-41 tie when Scott Frost, of all people, was the quarterback for the Cardinal in that game back in 1994. But ever since they've gone out to Palo Alto, the last time they went out there was 1993, and the Cardinal and Steve Stenstrom laid it to the Wildcats for, for most of that one, and Northwestern came home with the loss. So that's week one. Week two, there's a bye. So Northwestern starts off with a game against Stanford, and then they get a week off to kind of recoup, regroup, and hopefully go into their second game on September 14th with a 1-0 record. 
So that second game is against the UNLV running Rebels. UNLV was 4-8 last season, finishing 5th in the Mountain West Conference's West Division. Just missed out on a bowl game by a couple of games, but they did play a little bit better toward the end of the season. UNLV has a dynamic quarterback in Amani Rogers, two big play-wide receivers in Tyleek Collins and Darren Woods Jr. Both of them average close to 20 yards per catch, so that'll be something to watch. They have running backs that are going to be young, but they did get Cal transfer Biagio Ali Walsh, who was a product of Las Vegas' famed Bishop Gorman High School, which has produced many Division I talent talented players, so that'll be interesting to see. They do return four offensive linemen, which is a plus for the Rebels. On defense, they do not look very good. Their back seven has to be better. Their linebackers are going to be pretty good. Javon White, incoming uh, junior college transfer, Vegas Vic Viramontes, who interestingly started his career at the University of Minnesota and had to transfer due to various reasons, and he actually was looked at as a quarterback, and and some people were pegging him to be the starting quarterback going into last fall, but he had to transfer before fall camp started, and that's what led to Minnesota in their current quarterback situation, which we'll touch on later. Gabe McCoy rounds out that threesome at linebacker, and he was one of their bright spots last year, along with Javon White, who we already mentioned. So that trio there could pose some challenges for the offensive unit for Northwestern, but uh, certainly something that, you know, with a with an improved passing game downfield, and if that running game can improve in week one and then take that bye week to, to get even better, you guys like Isaiah Bowser, John Moten, downtown Jesse Brown, they could really do a good job against those linebackers and, and stretch the field both laterally and vertically to make them uh, a non-factor. UNLV lost two of their top defensive backs on a unit that was 109th in pass efficiency defense, which translates to the idea that they don't defend the pass very well in terms of keeping it away from downfield and and stopping completions. And with Hunter Johnson, the new quarterback for the Wildcats, assumedly being one of the more accurate uh, quarterbacks that people are talking about, that's going to be something that the Wildcats can certainly exploit. Now, in terms of history... Northwestern is 2-0 against UNLV, playing in 1998 in Evanston and then out in Las Vegas in 2001 with the purple and white taking both meetings. The concern here is that the Wildcats have had a habit of playing down to their competition, Um, so this is a game where they have a chance to shine. Like I said, coming off of a bye week and wanting to establish themselves as a force in the Big Ten early on, this is certainly the game to do so. UNLV plays against Arkansas State at home before this matchup against the Wildcats. And then after this game, they go out to Wyoming to open up their Mountain West Conference play. UNLV, by most accords, should be 1-1 one and one coming into this matchup against Northwestern. And for Wildcat fans, we hope that they leave 1-2. and two. Next week, Game 3, September 21st, at home against the Michigan State Spartans. Michigan State finished 7-6 and six last year, 4th in the Big Ten East. And, of course, Northwestern beat the Spartans last year and the year before. They're currently on a uh, three-game win streak against the Spartans, so um, hopefully that trend continues for Northwestern. Offensively, Michigan State brings a very, very good set of wide receivers, headlined by Cody White, who battled through a nagging hand injury last year and surprisingly played more games than what many thought he would after the, the nature of that injury. They have an experienced quarterback in Brian Lewerke who has been good before, but last year there was 
uh, indications of injury. And I think, you know, mentally and physically, Lewerke just was certainly not himself. They tried to turn to Rocky Lombardi, a freshman quarterback last year, but that didn't produce the results that they were hoping for. The big question for them and the key to their success is going to be on their offensive line. They return a lot of offensive linemen, but this was an offensive line that was not very good last season. They need to be able to run the ball, and typically Mark D'Antonio teams are, but last year was kind of an anomaly. They were trying to find that go-to back. They do bring a, a steady crew of, of ball carriers back there with Ladarius Jefferson, uh, Connor Haywood, who's really uh, the uh, – the starter coming back for all intents and purposes. But then they've got Weston Bridges, and they've got another guy, Anthony Williams, who's an early enrollee um, that they really like and has had a pretty good spring camp so far. Um, questions are, again, at quarterback, the, the health and the mentality of whoever's going to be at quarterback there, whether it's Lewerke, whether it's Lombardi, or whether they turn to redshirt freshman Theo Day, who came in as a pretty heavy recruit last year. I believe he was a four-star guy. Um, who's going to play on the offensive line, and can they solidify in time to play against the Wildcats? Defensively, this is a group that was outstanding and really needs no introduction or no accolades uh, because they did everything that they needed to do on the field and then some. They, they need to trim up the secondary a little bit, but D'Antonio always has a good defense, and so if you're a Spartan fan, that's not a concern. This is going to be a group that's going to be physical. They're going to come and, and blitz, and they're going to attack, and they're going to try and make you uh, make a false step and then capitalize off of that. Now, the recent history against the Spartans, like we mentioned, Northwestern has won three consecutive games against MSU. However, they've lost five of the last six against the Spartans in Evanston. So the win in 2017 was the lone victory they've had in the last six tries. So hopefully that trend reverses for Northwestern's fortunes. The Spartans play at home against Arizona State the week before playing Northwestern. And then following this game, they travel to Indiana, or I'm sorry, they play Indiana at home. Um, and by all accounts, the Spartans should be 3-0 and coming into this September 21st matchup against the Wildcats. So a chance for Northwestern to hopefully hand MSU their first loss of the season if they haven't garnered one already. Game four, September 28th at Wisconsin. So this is a very important Big Ten West matchup. Wisconsin last year was 8-5, and five, which was second in the Big Ten West after you figure in tiebreakers. They did go to a bowl game and played impressively against Miami out in New York in the Pinstripe Bowl. They obviously have the best running back in the NCAA in Jonathan Taylor. But an interesting note about Taylor, he's never cracked 100 yards against Northwestern in two career games. So his freshman year, he ran for 80 yards. Last season, he was under that mark as well. So uh, this Northwestern defense preps and plans and plays well against number 23 for Wisconsin. They do have a good set of wide receivers that they have coming back, headlined by Kendrick Pryor. Uh, they also have Danny Davis and A.J. Taylor and a couple of other guys who are coming up in the ranks. Aaron Cruikshank is the, the speed of the bunch. He's, uh, he wears number one. He returns kicks and sometimes punts for them, so he's a guy to keep an eye out for. Defensively, the secondary is the quote-unquote weakness, and this is something that Hunter Johnson and the passing offense could exploit. Their defense is hopefully going to be healthy for, for Badger fans, especially in the front seven. Um, offensive line, they're fitting in some new starters, and they're, they're really good at 
fitting in these guys on the offensive front. So even though they lose four guys, either due to graduation or leaving early, or there was uh, one of those offensive linemen who had to retire due to medical reasons in this offseason. But it, again, like Stanford, it's, it's a factory out there in Madtown. So you know that they're going to have an offensive line going in front of them. The big question mark on offense is... Who's going to be the quarterback? So Alex Hornerbrook, the three-year starter, decides to transfer out to Florida State. So that gives the opportunity to Jack Cohn, who finished last season when Hornerbrook was down with concussion issues. But then there's also red-hot four-star freshman Graham Mertz, who was enrolled early, and then also redshirt freshman Chase Wolf. There's also Vanden Boom, who was you know the second or third string quarterback, however you want to look at it, last season. Got a little bit of time, but I think it's going to be a race between those those first three that were mentioned. Now, Wisconsin play Michigan before they come and play the, the Wildcats on their home turf in Madison. So uh, that Michigan game is going to be their first big test of the year. And I think most people are going to project that the Wolverines are going to win that one, maybe by a close margin. But again, it is in Camp Randall Stadium. So if Wisconsin wins that one, they might be 3-0 and coming into this contest against Northwestern. But if Michigan wins, they'll be 2-1. and So you got to wonder how that factors into their psyche. And is Michigan going to beat them up and bruise them up? both physically and psychologically, to the point where the Wildcats can exploit that and take advantage. They've only won back-to-back games against Wisconsin once under Coach Fitzgerald. So they won last year, and if history holds true, history's not on their side in terms of them winning this second contest against Wisconsin this year. So got to buck that trend. They've lost four of the last five against Wisconsin in Madison, and four of those losses have been by more than a touchdown. So Um, It'll be really interesting to see how this group handles that trip out to Camp Randall. When that game is going to be played, will will Wisconsin play it in the afternoon at about a 3.30 start? Will they play at noon? I think the Wildcats' best chances here, or their, their greatest chance, is if this is a noon kickoff, I think that that makes it a little bit more of an even playing field for both teams. And I'm not suggesting that Wisconsin has the ultimate upper hand, but going into this gun to my head right now, I would say that Wisconsin probably will be favored going into that game, but I think that the odds would be swung a little bit more evenly if that game's at noon as opposed to a 3.30 kickoff or especially a night game out in Camp Randall. But we all know that Fitzy's going to get the boys ready either way. So we mentioned that Wisconsin plays Northwestern after a home game against Michigan. And then after the Northwestern game, Wisconsin plays Kent State. So no real big test coming up after the Wildcats. So uh, what that means is Wisconsin can prepare a little bit more and and put more of their eggs in the basket against Northwestern in that pivotal Big Ten West showdown and then, uh, you know, quote-unquote, take it off a little bit against Kent State the following week. Then we come to October 5th, Game 5 against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So they follow up a road trip to Madison to go down to the south and play in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Memorial Stadium against the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who could be 4-1, maybe even 5-0, and uh, but that... That big if comes with they play the Ohio State Buckeyes before uh, hosting the Wildcats in the game on October 5th. So if they knock off Ohio State, who presumably that team will be undefeated, both teams should be 4-0 undefeated going into that contest between the Buckeyes and the Cornhuskers. But if Nebraska wins, they're likely going to be a top-10 team, 5-0, and playing against the, the Wildcats at home. So what do we know about Nebraska? Well, their offense is going to be explosive. 
They have a lot of depth at all the skill positions, particularly quarterback, running back, and also wide receiver. Quarterback Adrian Martinez headlines everything on that offense. The wide receivers, they're going to be really good there. They've got uh, J.D. Spielman, who could be a Heisman candidate into the month of October. Uh, He is lightning out in the open field. You get him the ball in space, and he can really do a lot of good things with that. Wandale Robinson is a big-time recruit that they brought in, and he could kind of be that jack-of-all-trades, the slot guy. He could play out wide. He could also line up in the backfield. A lot of people are uh, comparing him to... um, you know, DeAnthony Thomas, LaMichael James type player at Oregon where Scott Frost really got his um, his pedigree started. So um, that's going to be a, a position to, to really watch carefully. Watching even more carefully will be in the backfield aside from Robinson because their uh, projected starter coming in, Maurice Washington, did the right thing. He got into some legal troubles. But he did the right thing in turning himself in and basically admitting his guilt and, and wanting to take whatever consequences were going to be dealt to him. So if he's going to get suspended, one would likely speculate that he is probably going to be suspended maybe the first couple of games, maybe the first three games. But by the game against the Wildcats in Game 5 on October 5th, one would assume that he would probably be eligible and would be in the mix. But in the meantime, Dedrick Mills is a transfer from Georgia Tech by way of junior college who uh, is going to be a good back to have back there. So he'll factor in. And they've got a couple other guys that they can scatter through there to replace the loss of Divino Zigbo, who was a great running back from last year. The defense will be strongest in the back end. So looking at their defensive strength, their linebackers are pretty good. Uh, Tyron Ferguson, Muhammad Barry are two pretty good linebackers. Barry is their leading tackler, one of the best in the Big Ten in tackles last year. And then on the back end, DiCaprio Boodle and uh, Lamar Jackson are two very good corners that are going to work to press and shut down those outside receivers for the Wildcats and anybody working on a crossing route. The question will be at safety in the middle of the field. They've got some guys that they're hoping to plug in there, but that uh, has yet to be seen how effective they're going to be. And like I said they've got four weeks to to try and master that and get it down before they play the Wildcats it's going to be necessary to run the ball against these Cornhuskers because up front is where they lack a little bit they like to play a 3-4 style defense which schematically it's a little bit easier to run between the tackles uh, when you don't have to go against four stout strong defensive linemen that's going to give you an edge in the run game so that's something that Northwestern is going to have to put a big focus on doing well Question marks offensively, their offensive line they need to solidify. They they've got guys that they're going to plug in place, and Scott Frost believes that they've got some good ones there, and and they're going to be just fine. But that's going to be seen on the film and what happens in the first four games of the season. Defensively, they need to be more physical than they need to be aggressive. So that three four attack style that Eric Chenander likes to bring. I don't know how successful that's going to be against teams that want to get physical with you. So if Northwestern can establish that physicality, if their offensive line can gel, and that running game with Bowser and Moten and other guys that they can throw back there, Drake Anderson, um, if they can get physical and if they can establish a run between the tackles and hit the creases and hit the seams and get north to south quickly as opposed to trying to dance with these athletes on defense for the Cornhuskers, then that's going to go in the favor of the purple and white. 
So, again, we mentioned that Nebraska plays Ohio State before the Wildcats. So if they beat Ohio State, this could be good for Northwestern. So that game, the Ohio State game, is going to take a lot out of Nebraska one way or the other, whether they win or whether they lose. So that could certainly help the Wildcats in terms of a psychological edge. If they lose, uh, if Nebraska loses, that could be trouble because then they're going to have that um, that sting and that bitterness that might carry over into the the Northwestern game. So the good news for Northwestern is that they've won three of the last four that they've played against the Huskers in Lincoln. Six of the last eight have been one-score games. So this has historically been a, a tight, close-knit matchup. This is one of the bigger rivalries from an entertainment aspect and from a, uh, a score standpoint that Northwestern has. I mean, regardless of the tradition, regardless of the history, these games have always been tough, and Pat Fitzgerald will be one of the first to tell you that this is a game that um, they really know that they're, they're going to get Nebraska's A game and their best no matter what. Even last season when the Huskers came to Evanston without a win, that was one of the toughest games that the Wildcats had to play. They had to come from behind, and they had to secure victory toward the end with a late two-minute drive that was architectured and engineered beautifully by Clayton Thorson to top the Huskers in Evanston. Moving on to the game number six, big one, against the Ohio State Buckeyes, a rematch of last year's Big Ten championship game. Now, this is interesting because it's at home at Ryan Field on Friday night under the lights. So Ohio State last year, like we said, documented, went 13-1. and They finished first in the Big Ten East. They beat the Wildcats in the Big Ten Championship, went on to play in the Rose Bowl. Now, Ohio State has an offense that's going to be very good. They've got a, a good quarterback, good running backs, very explosive wide receivers, and I think that wide receiver core is going to be their strength on offense. They are re- replacing four offensive linemen, but they do fill in nicely with some guys that they've recruited well. They get Jonah Jackson, a a starter from the Rutgers Scarlet Knights last year, and I know Rutgers offensively was nothing to write home about, but Jackson, I believe, was a three- or four-star recruit coming into Rutgers. Um, He's a serviceable guy that you can plug in, and I think with their solid coaching in Ohio State and being surrounded by talent, shoulder-to-shoulder, elbow-to-elbow with him on the offensive line, he's going to fit in nicely there. Defensively, they're going to be strongest in their back end, meaning the back seven. So it's going to be, uh, um, or I'm sorry, uh, they're going to be better than they were last year. So Ohio State brought in Greg Madison from Michigan, and Madison, even without working with Don Brown, has been one of the more respected defensive minds in the college game. He's been a defensive coordinator before. He's going to actually share the job with Jeff Halfley, who's going to be the other co-defensive coordinator. So the two of them together are going to make it right and make Ohio State uh, a much better defense than they were last year. And just as a side note, a lot of people were criticizing the Ohio State defense last year. Yeah, they gave up yards and they gave up points, but statistically speaking, the numbers were not nearly as bad as some might suggest. They weren't as bad as Oklahoma was. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, Ohio State was kept in games that they probably shouldn't have been because the defense wasn't holding up their end of the bargain, whereas the offense was lighting up the scoreboard. So maybe it's just a uh, a matter of, you know, relatively speaking, that Ohio State defense wasn't as good as people were expecting, but they weren't terrible like some might suggest. I think Ryan Day is going to be just fine as their new head coach. Keep in mind that he went 3-0 and in his um, internship, if you will, last year. He went 
three and zero, winning games uh, in convincing fashion, mind you, against Oregon State, against Rutgers, and then the big win out in Dallas against TCU. And TCU was considered to be a pretty good team at the time. And even though they didn't pan out the way that people thought that they would, psychologically that was a big game that the Buckeyes had to get ready for, and they played well in it. Ohio State, unfortunately for Wildcat fans, has won seven straight against the uh, against Northwestern. 24 of the last 25. But this game's going to have that special feeling, maybe shades of 2013 when Ohio State came in, College Game Day came to town. Uh, the, both teams were undefeated, I believe, and Ohio State had to pull away at the end, uh, and, the, and the margin at the end of the game was not nearly indicative of how close the game was. That atmosphere was electric, so Wildcat fans, we implore you to re, redo or uh, to uh, to duplicate and to renew that energy once again here in 2019. Ohio State has a bye before this game coming in, whereas Northwestern, like we said, has to play Nebraska. So maybe a little bit of an edge schematically for the Buckeyes. And then they play Wisconsin at home, Ohio State does, after this one. So Ohio State should be 6-0 and coming into this contest, most likely a top three team, but certainly going to get the best from Fitzgerald and his Wildcat players. Moving on to the next week, they play their homecoming game, Northwestern does, against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Now, Iowa was 9-4 and four in the Big Ten last year. I'm sorry, 9-4 and four overall, fourth in the Big Ten West. This is going to be, uh, once again, a, a great matchup between these two teams. So what does Iowa bring in? Well, they've got a three-year starting quarterback in Nathan Stanley. They've got a good offensive line, bookended by two pretty good offensive tackles. They've got a pretty good pass game, and they always cater their tight ends to um, make their offense better. And what I mean by that is tight end is their specialty. They know how to use them effectively, and it's starting to get to a point where it doesn't matter really who's there. They're going to be molded into somebody who's going to be successful. So this year we're looking at Sean Beyer, and we're looking at Drew Cook, who is the son of former Iowa great Marv Cook. The running backs are good but not great, and defensively the question mark is what will that defensive line look like? So that defensive line was one of the best in the nation last year. Uh, They lose a good amount from there. They do return A.J. Epinesa, who is arguably the most talented defensive lineman that they they had on that group last year, but they lose both Nelsons. um, They lose Parker Hesse, so it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they can get this new defensive line looking uh, even close to what last year's was and and being serviceable. But a Kirk Ferentz team and a Phil Parker defense, you know that they're going to get good play out of whoever they put there. It's just a matter of what level of good do they play at and can they go to great. They're good on the back seven on defense, and they've got pretty good depth at the defensive back position, especially at corner. Uh, Michael Ojemudia, Matt Hankins, Riley Moss, uh, Julius Brents, these are guys who played last year. They did a, a pretty good job, and so they're going to have the, the first crack at um, really shutting down these Northwestern wide receivers, or trying to anyway. Uh, Northwestern has won three straight against the Hawkeyes. Iowa plays Purdue before uh, getting a bye after the Northwestern game. So again, when you look at psychological matchup, uh, Iowa has a little bit of an edge in the fact that they know that they've got a week to rest after Northwestern, and Northwestern does not. So maybe that uh, allows Iowa to maybe go a little bit more all-in on this one, knowing that they'll get 13 days afterwards to kind of recuperate and to regroup and get ready for when they resume play. 
November 2nd, they play, the Wildcats play at Indiana. So Indiana was 5-7 and seven last year, 6th in the Big Ten East. Uh, but this is a team who I'm going to let everybody know now to watch out for. This team could be an ambush predator in the Big Ten. Now, I know they play in the East. I know that that's a division that's stacked. But so was the SEC East, and Kentucky came out of nowhere seemingly and really uh, let their presence be known. Now, I'm not necessarily comparing apples to apples between Kentucky and Indiana. Kentucky had a great defense. Indiana's defense needs to get better. But offensively speaking, this is an Indiana team that can do good things. And Tom Allen, their head coach, is a defensive-minded guy. So you kind of know that intrinsically they're going to be working and pushing a little bit more defensively and putting a little bit more focus on that side of the ball than they are on offense. And on offense, they're going to be fine. Um, They've got some pretty good skill guys and high hopes for their quarterback, Michael Penix, who was injured last year, but he's a lefty. He's a great athlete. Uh, Some are saying that he's Michael Vick-like. That's yet to be seen on the college level, but he certainly has a lot of aspirations and a lot of expectations going in. They've got two good backs, Stevie Scott, who came out of the scene as a freshman last year and did some really good things, um, earned some Big Ten honors. And then Samson James is a four-star recruit who actually decommitted from Ohio State and chose to come over to Bloomington to play for the Hoosiers. So we'll see how those two can fare and um, how dynamic the two of them can be against opposing defenses. They've got some pretty good defensive tackles, um, Johnson, and then they picked up a junior college transfer, Juan Harris, who will, those two will team up on the inside and, and plug the, the defensive front pretty well. They've got a solid player at each of the three position groups on defense. So we already mentioned defensive line. Um, Raquan Jones is a good linebacker in the middle, and then Marcelino Ball is kind of their hybrid, strong safety outside linebacker. He's a great tackler, he's good in space, and he's going to be a leader on that defense. So they're going to be pretty protected at all three levels. Now it's just a matter of, of putting the meat on the skeleton. They do have a new offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, who comes over from Fresno State, and Fresno did some really good things offensively last year and during DeBoer's time there. So, and he's a uh, a Jeff Tedford disciple, so you you have to think that there is going to be some increased level of offense for the Hoosiers this year, and that's why I was talking about watching out for this team because offensively they should put up some good numbers. They were a young team last year, but they're promising. So this is a team, like I said, to kind of keep an eye out for. This game scares me on Northwestern's schedule because it's trapped between two Western Division foes, Iowa and Purdue. Indiana plays at Nebraska before hosting the Wildcats on November 2nd, and then they have to go at Penn State afterwards. So this is a perfect chance for the Hoosiers, who should be 5-3 and three coming into this game, maybe to pick up their sixth win and earn bowl eligibility. So that's going to be motivation for them to play for against the Purple and Whites. So uh, the Wildcats have got to be ready for that one. Next week, November 9th, at home against Purdue. Now, Purdue was 6-7 and seven last year, third in the Big Ten West. The Wildcats handed them their first loss of the season in the first game of the season last year on national TV, on ESPN. A good showing for the Wildcats and really the last big game we saw from Jeremy Larkin before he was forced to retire due to uh, medical reasons. So Purdue should be 5-4 and four coming into this game. They play Nebraska the week before, and then they have a bye after playing Northwestern. So, um, again, similar to the Iowa Hawkeyes, um, Purdue has the luxury of kind of putting their chips in the middle of the table and 
going a little bit more out and being able to sell out a little bit more to to earn a victory on the road in Evanston, whereas Northwestern has to play a, a game the next week, although it's a virtual buy, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Purdue, if if he's healthy, quarterback Nathan or uh, Ethan Sindelar is he can sling it. He's a guy who won the quarterback job in the in the summer and the fall last year, got a shoulder injury and uh, had a little bit of a uh, uh, disheartening performance against Northwestern. David Blau took over and really never relinquished the job after that. And, and he had a fantastic Big Ten season. So it worked out for, for Blau and the Boilermakers. But Sindelar comes back this year. And with him there, they can be explosive on offense, and they're going to be explosive on offense. Obviously, Rondell Moore headlines the offense there at wide receiver. Um, they've got a good cast of receivers. They're, they're bringing in some, some new freshmen who are going to add to the dynamite that that Moore already provides. And that offensive system and the the offensive ingenuity by Jeff Brom is going to be something that's they're going to score points, they're going to rack up yards, and it's going to stress the Northwestern defense. But again, Hank and his crew, they just need to keep everything in front. They need to make sure that um, they lock down inside the 40 and, and keep the Boilermakers out of the end zone and hopefully um, away from the goalpost as well and keep that score minimized. Um, offensively, Purdue has some questions at running back. They need to find a, a guy who can take the mind off the passing game. So if Purdue is just a passing offense, that's going to pose some problems. Jeff Brown will admit that he wants to be a team that can run the ball. So maybe expect to see Rondale more, a little bit more in the backfield until they establish a guy there. So Tario Fuller comes back. Um, he'll be a senior this year. He's a guy that, that will probably get the early crack at it. Uh, but they've got some redshirt freshmen that they're also going to give a shot and and see if one of their youngsters can can take the ball literally and um, establish himself a role early on. Offensively, on the line, they're replacing three starters, and all three are up the middle, so both guards and center, including Kirk Barron, who was really their stalwart for the last few years. That's going to be a, a, a tough guy to replace up the middle, and that's really the heart of that offensive line. Um, this has to be straightened out for success this year for Purdue. So uh, depending on how that offensive line goes, like I said, Purdue, for, for what I see, should be about 5-4 and four coming into that November 9th matchup in Evanston for, um, for that game. Defensively, this defense is going to be better than what they were last year. They return a lot of production from the 2018 team. Defensive coordinator Nick Holt is one of my favorite defensive coordinators. He's a great coach. And he's, he's outstanding at making chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. Um, certainly not short on aggression or intensity. Um, a guy who shaves his head like myself, and you can see every one of those veins that he has under his scalp popping out uh, pretty much at every TV timeout and every moment that the camera fixes on him. And it's become frequently increasing uh, throughout the seasons. Their weakness on defense is going to be in the secondary. So they finished 84th nationally in pass efficiency defense, and they lost their top cover guy and their top tackler in their defensive backfield. So that's going to be an area that they're going to need to find replacements and and kind of teach them on the the fly. Um, So by November 9th, you would think for for Purdue's sake that they would have had time enough to get a, a solid secondary in place. If not, 
And with momentum that the Northwestern offense can hopefully pick up with Hunter Johnson and with the cast of receivers he's going to have throwing and hopefully a, uh, a potent backfield, this bodes well for the, the Northwestern offense trying to stretch the field vertically. Um, they could be playing a young team, Purdue will, at this point if they are 5-4. and four. So you might see a lot more true freshmen or even redshirt freshmen take the field and get uh, a bulk of the snaps to try and promote the future, if you will, for Jeff Brom. I don't think many people are expecting Purdue to have um, a, a Big Ten West contending year this year. They'll be competitive, and they always will be under Jeff Brom, but this might be the year that they kind of um, find out what pieces fit in place, and that bodes well for the Wildcats on November 9th. Um, in terms of uh, the next week, November 16th, the Wildcats stay at home to play the UMass Minutemen out of the Independent League. Now, UMass was 4-8 and eight last season. They're getting a new coach in Walt Bell. Um, he was the former offensive coordinator at Florida State last year. He also has been the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Maryland, as well as Arkansas State, Oklahoma State, Memphis, and Southern Miss. Those are some of the assistant coaching positions that he's had before finally getting his first shot. And he's a young guy, too, so he's been well-traveled in his uh, in his young age, but um, I think he's going to bring some good things out to Amherst. Now, UMass, you know that they're going to be uh, offensive-minded, and that's where they're going to put most of their team focus, but they lost their quarterback, a great wide receiver in Andy Isabella, and then their top running back from last year as well. So a lot of offensive touchdown production has been lost. They also are going to be without two of their offensive linemen from last year. And that offensive line was not good anyway. They were 122nd in sacks allowed. So if you're Joe Gaziano and Ernie Brown and Sam Duke Miller and the rest of that front seven for the Wildcats, you're kind of salivating knowing that this is going to be an offensive line that's probably still going to be putting pieces together. At this point, uh, on November 16th, they may even be playing some young guys, some of Walt Bell's recruits to try and, again, build for the future. So that bodes really well for the, the Wildcat defense. Uh, their passing game was good, but they're likely going to take a step back as they transition into this new offense, which is going to be up-tempo. There's a lot of energy that uh, Coach Walt Bell brings. And so while they're learning the system and while they're transitioning, even though they say that they're going to try and keep things simple, you know that they have to start implementing things that are going to be more and more complex. And with their losses, as we already mentioned, at quarterback, receiver, um, and offensive line graduation, and this, this transition is going to make things easier for the Wildcats and more difficult for the Minutemen. Defensively, UMass was bad last year, and they lost their top three defensive players. So logically thinking and, and using reasoning, they're not going to be uh, much better at this point um, unless they, they really find some diamonds that shine. This is going to be a game for Northwestern where it should be where they tune up and they get mentally fit for Minnesota the next week. However, I put a big watch on this one because Northwestern tends to play these games tight, quote-unquote, just to get the win. Okay, uh, We know that Coach Fitzgerald is big on stats or for losers, and that these are not games to uh, really try and, and move things up. Um, but we hope that they do. We hope that they can use this as a game where they they play their level of game, they don't play down to their competition, and it ends up being an outcome that you look at and you say, yeah, Northwestern should have won this game by this many points. Northwestern should have put up these numbers. I don't care who it's against. 
UMass comes into this game after playing at Army, who's going to be a pretty good top 25 team this year in in the FBS level. Uh, And then afterwards, they finish their season by playing against BYU at home. So um, two fairly... Uh, competitive foes sandwiched around the Northwestern game. So UMass has their work cut out for them, and that certainly looks good for Northwestern. They should be 3-7 and seven or 4-6 and six coming into this game, UMass should, and you would figure um, a, a pretty manageable non-conference game at home for the Wildcat fans. Next week, another big Big Ten West matchup at home against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So Minnesota was 7-6 and six last year, 6th in the Big Ten West. Now they've got a lot of hype on them this season. And that's no pun because, you know, that whole hyper acro- or, uh, uh, initials that they use out there in Minnesota has a lot of meaning to them. But they're getting a lot of preseason love from a lot of people, both experts and casual fans, because they're looking at the depth chart and they're looking at what they've got coming back. And a lot of people get fixated on, well, they return this many starters, so automatically they're going to be a good team. Um, my question is, will this hype be perfume or poison for Minnesota? Now, they've got a good coach in P.J. Fleck, and they've got a good staff, and I think they made the right uh, alterations on their staff, bringing Joe Rossi up from defensive line coach to be the defensive coordinator midseason, and we saw a vast improvement in their product, but also their aggression and their style of play, and it looked like those Minnesota defensive players were having fun playing for Coach Rossi. Offensively, they bring back a lot of skill on the offense or on, on that side of the ball. They have two quarterbacks, uh, Zach Anikstead and Tanner Morgan, who both do some, some really good things. They've got four running backs, so this might be the deepest group of running backs in the Big Ten, bar none. Not necessarily the most talented, but certainly the, the deepest and collectively have the most amount of skill in that running back room when you add everybody in. They return every wide receiver that uh, logged some snaps last year, which is really impressive, and they've got some good ones. Tyler Johnson is an all-Big Ten receiver, number six for Minnesota. He's someone to keep an eye out for, but um, Chris Ottman-Bell, um, uh, Rashad Bateman is probably their number two receiver and, and somebody who kind of uh, scares me a little bit on the opposing side of the field. Um, so those are guys to look out for. And they return three offensive linemen, but they add a pretty good Juco tackle in Dixon. So that offensive group is going to be good. They're going to put up some good numbers, and you know that P.J. Flex teams usually do. Um, Wide receivers, though, even though they return everybody, they had some problems with some drops. So that's going to be something they have to shore up. And the passing game was good, but at times they were inconsistent, especially Tanner Morgan. So those are areas to, um, to keep an eye out for. And, again, the the wild card here for the Wildcats is their defense in Mike Hankwitz, and he always seems to give opposing offensive coaches fits and troubles, especially once they get inside that 40, and that's his whole scheme, that's his whole strategy. Defensively, like we talked about, um, good coordinator. They should be good in the back end, the back seven. Um, but they need to get better at rushing the passer, and they need to get better at creating havoc up front. And one of their top defensive ends from last year, Carter Coughlin, is most likely going to be moved back to outside linebacker, a position he played more frequently in high school, and that's where he came into Minnesota playing. They had to move him up front to give him a little bit more athleticism, but also that leadership. He is one of my favorite non-Wildcat players in the Big Ten. Uh, I like his motor, I like his effort, I like his leadership, I like the way he plays the game, and I like his character as well. So, um, But I'm a Wildcat fan, I bleed purple, and so I hope that this is the one game that 
Coughlin does not bode well in. Injuries hurt the, the Gophers last year, and that's going to be something that if they can stay healthy, especially Antoine Winfield in that back end at strong safety, if he can stay healthy, he's another great defensive player, good leader. They've got some good corners, so it's really going to test that Northwestern passing game on November 23rd. So Fitzgerald is 8-4 and four against Minnesota and 4-2 and two in Evanston, which is where this game will be played in 2019. And Fitzy is 2-0 oh against P.J. Fleck when he's been the Minnesota head coach. So he's won both contests. He's 2-1 overall, but that one win was really a or that one loss uh, to Flack was really a, a loss that never should have been. There wasn't the fumble at the end, and if there wasn't a, uh, a poor call with the, the two-point conversion toward the end of the game that Western scored, um, I think that that's a completely different turnaround, and that's probably a completely different season for the, the Broncos at that one. But um, no revisionist history here. That brings us to the final game of the year, November 30th at Illinois in Champaign. The game for the Land of Lincoln Trophy the rivalry game for the hat. Now, Illinois last season was 4-8, 7th in the Big Ten West. The good things that they bring this year, they've got speed on offense, starting with two good running backs in Corbin and Bonner. They were the number 12 rushing team in the NCAA, and they bring a good amount of experience back from that offense that had the capability of explosion. However, the problems that appear to be is they have a quote-unquote new quarterback who's still getting his feet wet in MJ Rivers. Now he wasn't the full-time starter last year. That honor went to AJ Bush who has since graduated. So Rivers is likely going to be the new starter but he's certainly going to be pushed by Isaiah Juice Part 2 or Juice the Deuce, Isaiah Williams. Um, He's going to get a look and there's a lot of good to go with him, a lot of athleticism. Lovey Smith might try to roll the dice and go with the youth movement, playing him at quarterback. Certainly uh, a look that a lot of Big Ten teams are not going to be ready for right away, at least until the end of the season, but fortunately for the Wildcats, they get Illinois in that finale. Other concerns on offense, though, they're not very good at throwing the ball or scoring. They were in the bottom third of the country in both of those categories. They had offensive line trouble in terms of protecting the backfield and on blitz and aggression packages that defenses would throw at them. They gave up a considerable amount of tackles for loss, and they also allowed their quarterbacks to be sacked right in and around the the middle third of the country, which isn't bad, but it's certainly, I mean, when you consider that they had some very athletic quarterbacks that were playing back there, um, you know, that accounts for maybe some of the benefit, but uh, nonetheless, with an athlete back there, catching the snap you would expect those sack numbers to be a little bit lower so good news is they've got two good offensive transfers one being tight end Luke Ford who is an Illinois product started out his career at the University of Georgia had some family issues come up where he needed to be back home and close to family so he transferred back to Champaign and will be eligible to play this year they also got an Alabama transfer on the offensive line in Richie Pettibone so that's certainly going to help their offensive front But again, that's one guy plugging into a group that had some shuffles and and had some issues with consistency last year, and they lose their best lineman in Nick Allegretti. Defensively, they've got some pretty good linebackers in Jake Hansen and Milo Eifler. Eifler is a transfer from the University of Washington who is a four-star recruit, so somebody who's going to bring some aggression. He's a good tackler, and he teams up with Hansen, who was one of the better linebackers at getting havoc plays and creating havoc plays in terms of tackle for loss last season. Hanson's also a pretty good coverage guy in that middle end, maybe one of the more underrated linebackers in the conference. They also have an active defensive end in Bobby Roundtree, who was, I believe, the NCAA's leader in 
passes defended by a defensive lineman. He had, I think, seven last season. They're pretty good at getting turnovers as well. However, overall, this defense was atrocious. They were in the bottom third in nearly every major defensive category, particularly scoring defense and yards per play giving up. They were pretty poor tacklers, and so there's going to be really everybody's on trial for for their job. Everybody is going to be competing for those spots on defense. They they look to be a little bit better uh, in the back end, like we mentioned, those linebackers and the secondary. But um, you know, ultimately, you need a good front to start things off, and so they've got uh, a new defensive coordinator that's that's hoping to write things a little bit better from what Hardy Nickerson did from last year. So we'll see. Um, early indications are, are not too confidence-inspiring, but you never know as the season plays out. Now, Illinois precedes the Northwestern game by playing at Iowa, a tough contest for them. Iowa is certainly going to be one of the big contenders for the Western Division title, and then obviously this being the last game of the regular season, there's nobody after the Northwestern game unless the Illini make it to a bowl. All signs point to the uh, idea that Illinois is probably going to be around that three and eight, probably more more like four and seven, possibly five and six. But I'm going to say four and seven at this early juncture, going into that Northwestern game for the Hat. Um, one of their big problems last year was attrition. They had a lot of players leave or were asked to leave or transferred. They did get some transfers in this off season, but they also had two guys who were. Figuring to be a, a big plus in the passing game, Jeff Thomas from Miami and A.D. Miller from Oklahoma, both of them decided against it at the end, and Thomas ended up staying at Miami, and Miller ended up staying at Oklahoma when all was said and done. Against the Illini, Pat Fitzgerald is 8-4, and four, and he's undefeated against Lovey Smith, who he says is one of his close friends, uh, somebody that he looks up to, but Rest assured, on November 30th, Fitzy's going to do everything he can to get the best of his um, his opponent once again, and the Wildcats look to take home the hat for the fifth straight season. So that pretty much wraps up the 2019 schedule outlook for the Northwestern Wildcats. Hopefully it gave you a little bit of a perspective on who's coming back, what these teams are going to look like, and keep in mind, it's only March right now. There's a lot that can happen between now and the end of the spring, over the summer, in fall camp, and certainly as we look at the back end of that schedule, the outlook of these teams and their health and their depth charts are subject to change. Some of them might be subject to major change. But nonetheless, the course is set for repeating as Big Ten West divisional champs and taking that next step to go to Indianapolis again and upseat the teams from the East and bring home a, a Big Ten trophy, championship trophy, and put it in that lovely case in the new Walter Athletic Center. So that wraps it up for this Wildcast edition of A Bowl Full of Chips. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at champion underscore lit. And please also give Wildcat Report a follow as well, at Wildcat Report. Louis Vicaire does some great things, posting a lot of the, the interesting stories for everything Northwestern as it relates to football, basketball, and uh, as we get into the summer, stay tuned to that for some of my articles on position previews, player breakdowns, outlook, and everything you could possibly want from a Northwestern writer. And if there's anything that you want me to cover, feel free to send me an email. I am nufbhistorian at gmail.com. And again, Twitter, I'm at champion underscore lit. Thanks for following, fight for victory, and go Cats!